What's going on, you charmingly chunky chameleons? Welcome to this week's episode of Total Pod Mode. My name is James, also known as Mr. Bames, and I'm joined, as always, by the wondrous Will, also known as Hoodafunk. Hey, guys, and hello to you, James. Hey, man. Nice to see you. You too, buddy. Good to be here. Good to be here, as always. In this week's episode, we've got our catch-up, and I think I know what Will's going to be talking about. Kind of spoil, kind of <laughs> little tease. He did give it away last week, but still, it's what everyone's f***ing playing. Uh, we then go on to the news, where we've got some sort of shady business to begin with, but then potentially some cause of celebration with some new stuff coming out. And then we round off with Completionist Corner, where we have the second part of our Odyssey into Code Vein. But first, let's hit them socials, baby. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. So, Will, I'm not actually going to bother asking you what you played this week. I'm just going to say, how was it? <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom was fantastic, <laughs> James. I've got to say, I've had an absolute ball of a time with this game. I definitely haven't played it nearly as much as I would have liked, but I am very pleased to say that I did surpass your expectations. I am out of the tutorial island. <laughs> <laughs> I've been having a, just a great time experimenting with all of the different powers and various things that you get during the playthrough. Yeah, talk to me about what's different, man. Like, what are, the, what are some of the new powers? What are some of the new cool sh- you can do? Yeah, so one of the first abilities that you get in the game is called the Ultra Hand, and that is essentially a kind of improvement on the magnetize ability that you had before. You're no longer restricted to lifting metal objects. You can now lift Ooh. pretty much every object in the game, telekinesis styly. You've also got a few more tools in terms of the way you can manipulate it, rotate it. And a lot of that feeds into the new system where you can actually attach objects as we've kind of discussed and speculated fusing, on before. Yeah. No, not quite fusing. So there is a separate no. ability called fuse. This ultra hand literally just is like a sticky thing. You just stick objects together. Oh, is that the green goop? It's the green goop, exactly. Got yeah. It. Okay. It allows you to stick wheels onto bits of wood and make a skateboard. It allows you to well stick anything to anything, pretty much. And the yeah. system for doing that is really sophisticated. After playing with it for a while, you can see how they've managed to program it. It's not like completely freeform. You can't stick anything any which way. But the amount of freedom that they've given you on the objects to do things makes it so that that is almost possible. And as I'm sure you've seen this week, some of the things people are coming out. I don't know about you, but I've seen people make piston systems and almost sort of things that resemble engines and things like that it's truly amazing i can believe it I, I, most of what i saw was video game donkey so he was just making shit that kind of worked but then didn't right and that was still just as amusing to be fair it sounds amazing i'll probably yeah. like i do with a lot of games i'll probably hold off watching that video for now just till yeah. i get a little bit further in the game but i'm looking forward to checking that out so the other ability that we briefly mentioned earlier is the fuse ability now this thing is definitely when we were talking about some of the reviews last week where they mentioned that there was unparalleled freedom and things like that this definitely feeds into this ability because pretty much any object in the game you can pick up and fuse to a current weapon or whatever is held in your hand so that and and by anything i mean even things like minecarts i'm currently walking around with a hammer that's just a piece of wood with a minecart stuck to it and the way it gets nice. around that is it just shrinks the minecart down so that it's a sensible size to fit on the end but yeah. it gives you you know various 
bonuses in terms of your attack power and then there's quite a few interesting weapon combinations that you can do to really test out some of the cool sandbox and physics elements of the game i've seen the big stick big stick the, well <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i guess there's there's things a little bit more advanced yeah. than the big stick big stick i've, I've seen the long sword uh, spear it's just like it gives you massive range basically that's probably yeah. not what it's called but but yeah, it even so. allows you to do things like if you have a for instance if you find a glider and then you attach that to your shield when you do your regular shield sliding thing you instead glide for a few moments and that just oh. again enables slightly different ways of traversing the environment quite neat yeah there's lots of stuff in the game that's just sort of purely in there for playing around with and having a fun time it's not necessarily you're not going to find yourself doing it all of the time but it's definitely a nice thing to just experiment with and you do very much feel like you're just kind of bashing things together and seeing what comes out <laughs> so that system seems really clever and it works extremely well with being able to also construct these uh, various vehicles, different ways to get up objects. I've got to say a lot of my combinations so far have really just been stringing bits of trees together to climb up an <laughs> unclimbable surface yeah like having the ladder tree yeah absolutely or yeah. something like that yeah the first thing i'd like to do is experiment with just how much i can use a structure to attack an enemy but not make it a vehicle i want to make something yeah. that's kind of like a death trap that i can just push around and uh be <laughs> because i mean you can get flame emitters and, and various attack things on these things as well so you can definitely kit these things out i'd quite like to do like a wall of fire i think that'd be quite fun i love the smell of napalm in the morning so this game is set a hundred years following the events of Breath of the Wild. Uh, the game starts off with Link and Zelda exploring an underground cavern underneath Hyrule Castle. We inadvertently resurrect what looks like a, a very skeletal aged Ganondorf. And at that point, Zelda is whisked away and Link is magicked away to the Sky Kingdom, which is the tutorial level of the game. Got yeah. So in that tutorial level, you pretty much get all of your abilities that I've unlocked so far. We've mentioned the Fuse and the Ultra Hand so far. There's also the Ascend ability, which allows you to, any structure or object above you that has a roof above it, you're able to sort of shoot through the sky, zip through the ceiling and land on top of it. I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to use that in the puzzles, but I'm interested to see just how much use I'll get out of it for generally exploring. Let's see. And the only other ability to mention really is the Recall ability, which is the one that we saw previously in the trailer where you can reverse the trajectory of an object to attack an enemy it's essentially rewind time you can target moving objects in the game any objects in the game in fact freeze it in time and then once you release the ability it will just do whatever it was doing for the last 10 seconds so that's got some really cool applications in terms of the puzzle as well because you can do something like use your ultra hand ability to pick up a box in front of you and raise it up and down and then you jump on top of the box use the recall ability to make it recreate the the thing that you were doing and then you can sort of levitate and make your own lifting platform that's cool that will have some good application out in the wild as well absolutely yeah you just need to find any sort of object that you can use lift it up in the air and then rewind time on it while you're holding onto it and uh yeah scale pretty much anything you want at that point nice who needs stamina yeah exactly there's all <laughs> sorts of creative ways that you can traverse without necessarily needing stamina much like the old game although this feels a lot more explorative and puzzly and you're just thinking about using the things around you rather than stockpiling up on stamina potions and things like that and is the world more sort of full of stuff as we speculated it may be yeah absolutely from what i can tell so far from my limited 
knowledge of the game and also hearing from friends. I was a little surprised that it is essentially a recreation of Breath of the Wild's map, so it does still continue to cover the Kingdom of Hyrule. However, they've included loads more cave systems, those sky structures that I mentioned earlier, because there's an ancient race who are responsible for sort of pairing with the Hyrulians and fighting against Ganondorf. Because of course there is. Of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a pretty, you know, pretty standard trope, isn't it, for that sort of yeah. fantasy thing? Just an ancient race. Yeah, just sky people. I suppose you've already got water people and fire people. You may as well have sky people as well. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got the bird people as well, but then this is high sky. But that's people. They're, they're like mid sky, yeah. Yeah, mid sky. This talking, is above the clouds. It's like space stuff. And I really like the way that the game starts off with you able to just jump off of the sky and down to earth as long as there's a water source below you. What I will say, we did talk a little bit about performance of this title, and the performance was a little shaky to start off, particularly when, well, Actually, only really when using the Ultra Hand ability, but particularly in the tutorial area. So I'm kind of reminiscing back on when we were talking about Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and yeah. uh, we read that review where they say that, uh, oh, the performance is a lot better after the tutorial. Yeah. That is, you know, kind of slightly apt here in that sense. I haven't noticed any frame drops when I activate my Ultra Hand ability on the ground, but I noticed in that large sky area, they would just drop a few frames every other time you activated the ability. That's not too unreasonable. It doesn't sound... I mean- I mean, it's not good, obviously, but it doesn't sound like it's game breaking. So, and you can forgive it if it pretty much works everywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 it was fine. Got past it, and we're into the game now. And I'm noticing very few frame drops. And frankly, I'm just marveling about how well it runs, considering the performance of Breath of the Wild. I wasn't expecting a huge advancement in terms of graphics or anything like that. No, it looks identical. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, with things kind of refined a bit more. There's ever so slightly fancier lighting effects and things, but for the most part, it does just resemble Breath of the Wild. The main difference is a more detailed map and completely different abilities. Yeah, speaking of lighting, did you see the article this week about how uh, someone got it running on PC with ray tracing? I haven't heard about it ray tracing, no. I've heard that they've got <laughs> ultra widescreen 60 FPS support, although the HUD is completely <laughs> stretched out to match that. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's insane. I think it was even before release they had it running at 60 FPS on PC emulation. Although you did need a 4090 graphics card to yeah, actually yeah, yeah. get it running. So yeah. You know, maybe give it a few years until that thing's a bit more stable so you can actually have an enjoyable experience rather than a very buggy one. So the recent mission that I've just picked up follows a very similar formula to Breath of the Wild where there are four points on the map where you essentially need to investigate the mystery that's going on there. And I'm pretty interested to find out, are we looking at divine beasts again or are these just going to be really cool dungeons? Who knows? But uh, looking forward to finding out. If they've got more cave areas, as you've mentioned there, I speculate it will probably be more likely to be dungeons. If it was going to be giant beastie things, you'd see them, surely. You would have been introduced to them. I'm literally at baby steps level in this game yet. So if they were there to see, I still wouldn't have seen them. So oh, okay, uh, yeah, fine. I really need to sink some more time into this. Completionist corner got in the way a little bit this week. But honestly, without getting a little too ahead of myself, I've been having a good time playing Code Vein. So it hasn't felt like too much of a too much of a time distraction away from Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah, that's good to hear. Okay, man, that's pretty much me wrapped up for this week. How about yourself? I have played a couple of things this week. I played a little bit more of the PGA Tour, the EA Sports game. Very good. Uh, nothing much to report. It's still, it's better. They've still got a few buggy bits in it, but nothing game-breaking again. Just little silly things. But they have fixed the thing where you celebrate after hitting a really bad shot. Oh, they finally got round to adding a sort of disappointed animation, did they? Does he kind of kick the floor or something? Oh no, it's nothing that bad. It's not smiling and sort of waving like, yes. Oh, right, okay. it's, it's, <laughs> And people don't clap you anymore. They're just like, oh, okay, that was 
<laughs> they just walk to the next hole. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah, okay, it's layers. Um, but yeah, so still enjoying that. But the other game I picked up this week, is, it's a game I actually picked up a, quite a while ago on sale, and I fancied it for a long time. But I too have really been enjoying Code Vein, right? And I did my section of Completionist Corner by the end of the weekend. So I, I've been sort of thinking, right, what can I play that's similar-ish to Code Vein? Basically another anime game um, by Bandai Namco. So, and I had this in my backlog, um, a game called Scarlet Nexus. Right, that's not a game that I've heard of before it's based on an anime which i'd never heard of before and i only found that out sort of this week playing it just but it's basically a hack and an anime hack and slash style game where you play as one of two set characters called yuito and kasane um you can do either or to begin with and then you can do the other one after you've done each one and you play through their story are they varying stories are we looking at kind of resident evil style scenario a scenario b or are we looking at completely different games i imagine because i'm still only on one story and not having played the second one but given how my story is going i'm imagining it's more like a resident evil you're playing the same timeline you're doing like it crosses over at certain sections but you're doing each person's side of the story right sure thing and from what i've played so far i'm probably about halfway just maybe just over halfway through the first dude's story so i picked yuito to start with and i can see how they're trying to get me to play the other side of the story because there's some stuff that's happened and it's kind of cool how it crosses over but i kind of it's going to be like with resi i know what's going to happen it's just going to be interesting seeing how we get to that point from the other side yeah are there parts specifically where you split up so it, it works more like this right so to begin you you start off as like a recruit into basically a security force called the OSF and you meet this girl and her sister which is Kasane the other character and you're basically off you're fighting these creatures called the Others and they're sort of just monstrosities seemingly made out of random household shit put together <laughs> right okay sounds interesting so like you've got like fire hydrants with like mannequin legs a tree growing on their back and then light bulbs sort of acting as like spines on their back really that sounds interesting yeah i like that, and, I like that. And, and it's all sorts of shit like that it's really cool and they're just called the others the which others. i think is quite neat yeah so you start off by killing all these guys sort of together you're not fighting with her directly but you're sort of on the same side in different regiments different platoons that's how they sort of split you up sure thing and then through various events in the game there's like a government conspiracy conspiracy um there's sort of betrayal there's like your osf the people you're with they just split into just people just pick sides i should probably also mention that you're living in a society where 99.9 percent of the people have psychic powers oh right okay and so yeah and the you rest have like just regular and... humans is that is this well, a little bit kind of like comparable to the revenants and uh the remaining humans in code vein no not really because it's, it's earth after I, I don't really know like you can probably tell because i don't follow the anime or anything i don't know exactly what's going sure thing but it's basically it's a society where pretty much everyone has powers and the 0.1 percent of people that don't have powers are called duds and they're basically normal humans but they're they're rare in society like that's just how it works seemingly and they're not needing to live like a protected life like uh the humans in uh in code vein no they're just sort of treated as subpar citizens muggles basically yeah but duds which i think is a little bit more offensive yeah way more offensive yeah <laughs> at least muggles trying to make it sound cute right dud is just like yeah you're a dud there's no beating around the bush with that terminology but to give you a sort of idea of some of the shady shit that goes in this game my character yuito is actually a dud but he's been given powers by experiments and shit, but he Fine. didn't know about it it happened when he was young and because his blood is broken and his avoid type of course of course that's nothing to do with blood dude it's red strings and shit. Oh, just red strings, of course, yeah. yeah. The red strings yeah. that flow out of people when you cut them. No, no, no. 
red huh? strings that that come into you Ooh. from seemingly I don't know where and like wires and shit. it's really cool stuff but I don't really get it I'm interested to see this enemy design I want to check out a photo yeah, those look really cool. Yeah, like they're kind of like a combination. Some of them look a little bit bloodborne beastie, but then they look like they're made out of bits of concrete ornament. Yeah, like you can see some of them. There's like an alligator-headed one. I like the uh, the sort of they almost have like a Silent Hill nurse legs. Then they have a lampshade yep. body that I suppose yep. looks a little bit like a corset, and then flowers sprouting out the top like a bouquet. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're called runnies. R runnies. Ooh. Oh man, the names are hilarious of these things, like the Duds, specific subtypes others, of others. Runnies. No, so the others is like the catch-all term for them, but like one of the bosses you fight is called uh, Winery Chinery, for example. Okay, there is. Yeah, it is like interesting. It's, it's bizarre in, in a very anime way but it's really good fun at first i wasn't sold on it i was a bit like oh this combat's kind of brass but got playing it and actually once you get into it it's, it's really satisfying you, the perfect dodge systems you have psychic powers so you can chuck shit around there's a special sort of not invincible mode but super powered mode called what's it called brain something <laughs> okay so is it so you mentioned that you know you're mentioning a lot of magic here is there much of a melee focus you did mention it was a hack oh, yeah, and slash what kind of weapons focus. oh you only have a sword oh Oh, okay, and, I, okay. and I think Asane has like um, throwing star things. She's a bit more ranged. Oh, fair enough. So does she not have swords? Is that uh, is the kind of the weapons character specific? Yeah. As far as I can see, she doesn't have a sword at all, but she'll have a different moveset. But you use the weapons in conjunction, which you can upgrade. It's got like upgrade systems and stuff, but you use the weapons in conjunction with your powers, in conjunction with your team's powers, because you have a couple of people with you at any one point. Yeah. And every single member of your team, you have this, um, this mechanic called SAS, and you can sort of use one of their abilities essentially so for example one of mine has an ability where she just makes all of your attacks fire because she's like a pyrokinesis person okay, okay. pyromancy basically because everyone has like they're all got powers but they've all got one speciality is that element based or is that it's like all sorts of one of them's teleport oh okay which basically cool. gives you like cool. a blink dodge and like gives you some special attacks uh, one of them is like she's a clairvoyant so she can see things and like see through things and stuff so you get her ability is when an enemy causes a smoke screen or something like that or goes invisible you can then see them nice and then you know one of them that i've got is um he's a sort of more soldiery guy like the tank of the group and he basically makes you invulnerable for like 20 seconds so that's just go ham on the boss mode type thing well it's just if the boss is doing a combination that, that will guaranteed knock you over if you activate that you'll just get no damage and won't get knocked over all right cool even against knockback and stuff that's sweet seemingly yeah so it's, there's some really cool stuff you can do. And then you can unlock like more combinations and things. So you start off with a three hit combo and you move into a, I've got now got a five hit combo, which I think is the max. So yeah, some cool stuff. Oh, I look forward to hearing more about that. I'm definitely going to check out some gameplay footage after this episode. But I think that just about does it for the catch up for this week, man. So why don't we move on to the news? So our first news story this week Blizzard are scrapping PvE, player versus environment, hero missions, and progression in Overwatch 2, something which was used as a unique selling point for the game, which is very shady in my opinion, but we'll get onto that shortly. When the game was first announced in 2019, the promise of PvE co-op hero missions was one of the main focuses of the marketing campaign, along with a new campaign mode. So this is sounding a lot less like Overwatch 2 and a lot more like an expansion to Overwatch at this point. Well, yeah, That exactly. was the new content, was the PvE as far as I was concerned. And that was the reason that they were even making an Overwatch 2 to begin with, right? But hey, 
So of course after that, Overwatch 2 was then delayed numerous times, eventually releasing as a standalone player versus player game, only whilst they continued to develop the PvE elements to release at a later date. But now, Blizzard have announced that these hero missions, featuring co-op, long-term progression and skill trees, have now been cancelled, with executive producer Jared Nuss saying, Progress on the PvE experience hasn't made the progress that we would hope. Naturally, there was a backlash in the community which led to Nuss backtracking slash clarifying that whilst these features are being cancelled, there will still still be co-op PvE elements coming, just not what was promised. Okay, okay, so they haven't entirely scrapped the PvE then, but it sounds like the main weight of the PvP mode that they were going to do has indeed been cancelled. So what's left really? Are we just... I have a feeling that we're just looking at perhaps survival modes and various modes like that where you're just going to kind of work together to fend off waves of enemies. I imagine it's going to be something more like that, but it's not going to be anything like the sort of cooperative, long-term progression, just experience that they promised initially and that the game was marketed on. I mean, and that's the bit that I have the problem with here. If you've literally sold that game to probably millions of people based on that concept alone. Well, sold, I mean, uh, let's remember it is a free-to-play game, although they did sell, you know, the season pass and things like that based on that premise, although that would have elapsed by now sort of thing. So you were buying into that season pass aware of the current state of overwatch i think that some people are forgetting that uh this it is a free-to-play game they've under delivered but it's not like they're sort of holding on to people's money and uh not delivering on promises sort of thing I i think that's the argument maybe that it's not quite so severe but at the same time i mean it's a massive letdown and honestly they obviously bit off more than they could chew here didn't they Seems that way, for sure. Why not just add new characters to Overwatch 1 if this is all they were going to do? I mean, think about how long we've got games like uh, Counter-Strike running for and Rainbow Six Siege and things like that, continually updated, improved, added things to. Honestly, they could have just done that to Overwatch, I think. Yeah. But hopefully with a slightly more positive second story here, Warner Brothers Games has announced the release date of Mortal Kombat 1. Mortal Kombat 1? I know, right? We're going back in time, buddy. Well, kind of, yeah. Like, just for you, apparently, reading up on this, apparently, like, the end of Mortal Kombat 11 basically said, oh, yeah, we've got a multiverse now. Uh, Yeah, that that is true, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you know... (laughs) So yeah, honestly, the events of Mortal Kombat they they kind of needed to do this, thinking about it. Uh, yeah. So actually, fair play, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this Mortal Kombat One is going to be a rebirth and reimagining of the Mortal Kombat universe and its characters. The developers, NetherRealm Studios, promise a new fighting system and a debut for a new character, the Fire God Liu Kang. Okay. Sounds pretty cool, right? Mortal Kombat 1 will be released on PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC, and the Nintendo Switch on the 19th of September. And, if the trailer is anything to go by, could see the return of the gear system from Mortal Kombat 11. Oh, right, okay. Now, it's worth noting that that's purely speculation, with Reddit user LowZooKeeperGame474 noticing that a character started the trailer with bare forearms, but ended the trailer with sort of metal claw things. Right, so, okay. Powering up. But one new feature that has been confirmed is cameo fighters. Cameo, of course, being spelt with a K because it's Mortal Kombat. As Ed Boon intended. Exactly. According to the official website, these allow you to choose from a unique roster of cameo fighting partners to assist you in battle. Fine, they're just fighting assists then. Well, that's all the detail we have for now, so speculation is rife as to what exactly this entails. There's what you've just said, which is very logical. Could also be some sort of tag team system. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking, a bit like the way that Marvel vs. Capcom used to handle it, but without the character switching. Just more like character assisting to a 
enhance your combos yeah. and things like that. Yeah, that's what I reckon it's going to be. But it could be something like a tag team system as well. Who knows? Not a series that I am into massively. I respect it. And obviously I, I've played the games, but I've, I've never bought one. It's one of them ones I just play with friends. So I think this is cool and it's it does need to happen. They couldn't just carry on with Mortal Kombat 12 and just keep going up and up. I think more for storyline purposes. I'm always up for just keep those series going. Final Fantasy's doing it. Why not Mortal Kombat? Because Completely Final unrelated. Fantasy switches up the characters every time. <laughs> yeah, I guess Mortal Kombat, they're kind of a lot of them are at this point beyond just being regular mortal humans, a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> so. What I'm a little bit worried about going back to Mortal Kombat 1 is that we're going to see like a big nuking of the roster and a lot of the cooler characters that they've added over the years might be siphoned out or it'll be interesting to see just what happens there. Well, it's just a new timeline, right? So maybe they're at the start of the game in that new timeline. So that'll be the reason that they're not left out. I don't know. Yeah, you got to hope. You got to hope. I just hope that this roster doesn't start out super skinny. Obviously, I'm thinking about Mortal Kombat 1. I think at that point it was like six characters. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to go anywhere near that low yeah. of a number. But I'd just be interested to see. There's some really cool characters out there. Like, I'd like to see Noob Smoke in there. Uh, hopefully, we see Reptile in there. Just characters like that, fan favorites that, you know, are outside of the regular Sub Zero, Scorpion, Mylena, that sort of thing. Is this a game you're going to pick up or you're interested in at all? Sounds like you're a fan of the series. So. I've definitely followed more. Combat for a long time and I've played the last couple of games 10 and 11 and I enjoyed them but I've never had the time to get really good at them and the majority of my time was spent playing Mortal Kombat like 1 to 3 sort of thing I got like right, you know yeah. as, a, as a sort of a younger kid this is one that I'll probably not pick up immediately but I'll definitely kind of watch with interest and uh, it may well pick my interest enough to actually pick up one day you kind of need to have a friend or a group of friends that are interested in playing these fighting games friendship because I find that I'm having a great time playing the single player and then the moment I take it online it's just endless combos finishing you you know limbs flying everywhere x-ray bone crushing and stuff without me ever able to get off like a low kick or an uppercut or something so yeah I know what you mean it's uh I, I think much like most fighting games online it's just kind of a case of you got to study the meta and just figure it out you know and you need to play against players because the AI doesn't give you quite the same challenge absolutely not no 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 much less predictable when you're playing with a real person I think that this is uh, an interesting development. I've been sort of hearing rumblings of this from Ed Boon's Twitter along the way and uh, looking forward to seeing a little bit more. I need to go ahead and check out this trailer. Our final news story this week, Cyberpunk 2077 developer CD Projekt Red has promised that we'll learn more about the game's upcoming Phantom Liberty expansion in June. But... According to a new leak, it may even be releasing then as well. Oh, they're just going to drop it on you. As spotted again by another Reddit user, shout-outs to Reddit and their journalism this week. Gaming leaks and rumours is the place to be. As spotted by Reddit user Space Sim Guy, Polish games podcasters Rock and Boris spoke at length about Phantom Liberty in their latest episode. According to his sources, Boris said Phantom Liberty would launch between the 8th of June, which is the same day as the Summer Game Fest, and early July. It's a pretty broad window, considering that, uh, you know, it's fast approaching. Yeah, but it also could be a sign that CD Projekt Red are going completely the other way in terms of advertising. Right, they're releases. being super loose on it now, so they just give in super loose, all super the time it needs. Yeah, do you know what? That's exactly. probably a good shout. As in, that's definitely yeah. a good shout. That's almost certainly what's going on, right? <laughs> I'm surprised that the release time doesn't say, you get it when it's goddamn ready! <laughs> 
So in terms of what this expansion entails, we know that it is being billed as a spy thriller expansion and that it'll star Idris Elba in an undisclosed role. Okay, they got more celebrity marketing going on there. Yeah, interesting. I've, I've still not played Cyberpunk, so I don't know how well Keanu did, to be perfectly honest with you. I'd be interested to know sure how Keanu actually. felt about the reception to Cyberpunk initially and uh, you know the fact that he was so heavily marketed as in that game sort of thing. And a lot of the time they were obviously Keanu Reeves being the internet good guy, Jesus, that he is a lot of them were referring to the fact that uh you know he was saying what a cool game it was and he really liked the concept behind it so yeah i, I wonder if uh idris elba is uh aware of the initial reception to the cyberpunk game i'm sure he probably doesn't mind if yeah yeah I can't can't blame that. No, I can't either, to be perfectly fair. This expansion has been in development since December 2021, and CDPR's latest financials suggest that this will be their biggest expansion to date, notably larger than The Witcher 3's Blood and Wine, which is one of the finest expansions in existence, in my opinion, of course. So that is quite a exciting claim, provided that it's actually good content. Good content, but also hopefully a lot of fixes still. That game has a long way to come and a lot of things to compensate for, and many broken system still so honestly it kind of needs to be their biggest expansion yet because the game was one of their sort of most lacking in terms of content so far i think i'll have to take your word for it i've still not played it the only thing i've seen of it is um i think i might have mentioned this before i saw my mate Sai playing it and the city was dead that was the only thing that really struck me there was just nothing going on in that city which given that's where you play the game right that's where it is it's all set in that city was shocking yeah it goes against exactly what you expect night city to be which is like yeah, a bustling having yeah a bustling ghetto <laughs> metropolis kind of thing yeah exactly so we'll have to see uh, this i thought this was cool news because i trust cdpr with expansions based on the witcher 3 alone <laughs> perfectly honest so that it could be really cool and you know we're one step closer to seeing that game of the year edition and then once that bad boy is discounted i might actually play this game myself <laughs> by then i'll probably be over it, to be perfectly honest with you i'm kind of over I it am, now. yeah no i gotta agree it's on my wish list but i'm kind of over it and with that we come to the end of the news for this week so now let's move on to completionist corner here we go for the completionist's corner corner So we pick up the story this week with our group of revenants approaching Anor Londo. What? Sorry, sorry. The Cathedral of the Sacred Blood. It does look f***ing like It Anor looks Londo. like a much more ornate Anor Londo. Confusingly tangled yeah, and making exactly. no sense. Even certain walkways being interlinked, yeah, blocked off still. Yeah, and no f***ing landmarks of any sort apart from the odd corpse. It's great, isn't it? But we are there looking for the source of the Bloodspring plot. Now, as we've sort of intimated, this level is basically a bright white maze with sort of loads of staircases and strategically placed drops. Incredibly easy to get lost in, I found. This is an absolutely maze-like place and definitely out of all the places I've played so far in this game, my least favourite. It felt very labyrinthy, unnecessarily so, because like I said, a lot of the structural things just didn't make sense. There were straight up interconnected walkways that just had a wall that said, no, you can't walk past here sort of thing and it's not like the walkway was broken like in some areas it just straight up made no sense like why wouldn't you be able to walk between these two things other than the fact that this is actually a maze it's a disguised maze yeah and every other area of the game i felt that it was easier to navigate this place is an absolute nightmare to navigate uh, definitely <laughs> a bit of a weak point to start this game off on from like the kind of the high that was last week going into this section i gotta say i found this a little bit of a grind even more so when 
when you briefly move out of this section and then get sucked right back in and have to do a bit more as well. Although it was much shorter and easier to find where to go. Gotta say, not my favourite level. Definitely no. not my favourite level. <laughs> and the first time I played it, I would agree with you entirely. The second run through, though, is actually, it was remarkably quick for me. Fine, yeah. But yeah. that's because I knew what to expect. Yeah. I didn't know the routes, obviously. How the f*** did anyone know the routes? It's ridiculous. Like, everything looks the same. But I sort of knew what I was doing, and I knew where not to go. I knew where the rooms were going to be, where the sort of insanely difficult summon waves come in. Of course, yeah. So I avoided those. Ran in, got the treasure, got left. I actually got my ass kicked by one of those in this level. I yeah. amassed so many souls, or, or whatever they're called in this Hayes. game. So many up haze so much haze to upgrade myself just because i was repeatedly getting into the room recovering it and then killing the majority of them and then dying to the last few guys when you have when you have three of the big guys on you at the same time you mean yeah 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 absolutely i, I think i managed to get into a pretty good rhythm where i didn't get sort of ganged up on too much by three guys at a time or anything like that I was able to kind of thin out the bigger guys before more spawned in so I didn't have to kind of deal with too many of them at once. I, I tried it a couple of times. was like, nope, not doing this. <laughs> you don't get anything for it, right? Apart from the pride, I suppose. And then there is a little challenge thing on the floor so you can repeat it, although I'm not sure what yeah. that gets you either. No, it's the same thing again. You don't get anything. Fine. You just get like, say you unlocked a big haze ball thing that you can put in your inventory they say that was your prize you just get that again oh, okay okay well i'm still using my bayonet although i have got a new one now i've got something called the rubelite yeah and silver silver and rubies it is really cool i've noticed that you can fire your shots a lot further with that thing my shots were kind of petering out after maybe about five meters whereas this one i can shoot him all the way across the boss arena which is fantastic it has a completely different move set which is really cool i wasn't expecting the same weapons technically to have different move sets yeah. that is awesome did actually tell you on last week's pod if you listened but um... <laughs> yeah it's cool as f that really cool mechanic have like a hammer that has basically looks the same as different moveset yes please it does make up for the fact that there isn't perhaps as much weapon variation as you might used to see in dark souls but the fact yeah. that you've got different movesets to go with it really changes it up exactly and some of them are more useful for different things as well it's very cool when you sort of look into it a bit more and experiment with your weapons and stuff for sure the rubelite is very pokey it's a kind of a, a poke and step back type uh, weapon you almost treat it a bit like a spear not fair quite defensive then but good Nice, like it. Yeah, a lot of the moves are kind of followed up with like an automatic backstep after the slash. It's, yeah. it's useful. Nice, nice. But eventually we do get through this maze somewhat and we come to the first boss of this little run here. The Argent Wolf Berserker. Basically think big old heavy armoured dude with a big old mace. And uh, this boss fight is incredibly easy. I've just got to say it. Yep, this was the first try for me. Hits incredibly hard. Has the potential to two or three shot you, but every single move is so telegraphed. He moves really slowly, and I didn't do this in this playthrough, but if you have a Zweihander that has the fortification upgrade on it, you get 100% physical damage resistance, you can just hold block. Oh, right, I didn't know about that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I did that on my first run, not on this one, because I'm still using the hammer as my main. Yeah, it's it's just a very, very simple fight. Not really a lot more to say about that. Yeah, it's just kind of like a, a, a medium-big humanoid-type boss fight, really, isn't it? He's not really a main boss though, he's kind of a mini boss if you like, so it's kind of understandable. He's like a chunky black knight from uh, Dark Souls. Kinda, yeah. That's, that's kind of how I describe him, yeah. Like a like a, a slightly worse Smo from Ornstein and Smo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he does, when you defeat him, he does drop his, his mace weapon, which is pretty good if you're using that style of weapon. I think it technically falls as a halberd, weirdly. As in it has, it has that moveset. It's a dexterity weapon. 
So, upon defeating the Argent Wolf Berserker, we continue onwards, and just outside the boss arena we find a vestige. But this is no ordinary vestige. This vestige is in fact one of our lost memories. Ooh, so excitement. <laughs> unlike other vestiges found thus far, we are actually able to play through our own memory rather than just witness the events. Oh, even we, more excitement. We meet a couple of key characters in this memory. That is Karen, Lewis's sister, Aurora, Karen's bestie, who we'll get into a little bit later, and Jack, who it turns out is none other than the mysterious hunter who brandishes the blue pineapple. Yeah, that motherfucker. Turns out he's actually our mate, sort of. Sort of, yeah. yeah. It's an awkward friendship, but uh, we're getting well, there. Well, no, at this point, he's our mate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's right. We're playing through this section as the memories of your character, aren't we? Yes, and essentially, I think it happens just after you've woken up from being turned into a revenant. That's correct. Wake up yes, sort of in a yeah. hospital bed, uh, Karen, Lewis's sister, or Louis's sister's um, watching over you, looking after you, and uh, you basically just sort of head out with Jack, walking through the memories of just before the Queen attack. And it's quite a cool little level. There's some cool enemies here. It's nice to actually be able to play through a sort of bit that's teaching you about the lore of the game. Yeah, yeah, and actually play through a level rather than a maze but no this is a really cool little area i'd say it's smaller than a lot of the levels in the game typically because it is really a story device it's not really meant to take you ages this it's short definitely the shortest section so far i think other than the very very beginning yeah I'd agree with that. But it does have a cool fight at the end of it. The it does with get. some sick-ass music as well, for sure. Yeah. The Queen's Knight is the boss that you fight here. And as the name suggests, a big old knight character again, basically. But this one's much cooler, much more difficult as well. He attacks with, I believe... I can't remember actually if it's a sword or a battle axe, because the main thing I notice on him is that shield because he, yeah, sort of jab right. he jabs you with it really quickly and it's incredibly hard to avoid. He does, yeah. That just comes out of nowhere, doesn't yeah. it? So for me, that's his main weapon. But he has all sorts of other things, like he can jump in the air and do some crazy slam attacks. He can also slightly disappear and reappear sort of next to you. Yeah, that's Maybe. right, yeah. His phase two, he gets pretty spicy. And yeah. are you actually, the game kind of explains to you that these guys are actually fully corrupted revenants, so they've kind of gone beyond lost status. Yeah, and they're sort of empowered by the queen's powers but no and interestingly with this boss fight if you have your fps unlocked uh, this boss will become invisible and you can't oh hit really it. so it can still kill you but you can't hit it even if you actually hit where it would be you can't damage it so always limit this game to 60 fps everyone yeah i think it's on by default anyway <laughs> <laughs> yes, but don't unlock it. For the most part, the game will work, and it, it really makes no difference, honestly. But this boss will become invisible if you do, so... That's quite a bug. Yeah, but yeah, but the game's not designed to run above 60. Yeah, 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 so I know. I, so but, I get uh, it. Yeah, but it's interesting. It's, I don't know if that's the only boss it happens on, but that's the only one I've experienced on, and that actually made me lock my FPS. Right, right, right. But no, so eventually we defeat the Queen's Knight with, with Jack in tow. However, there is no time to revel in our victory, because moments after we've defeated the Queen's Knight, the Queen herself shows up, who interestingly is Cruz, the person that sort of does the tutorial with you at the start of the game. Yeah. Teaches you yeah. the basic movements. Now, but this is bad news, because... The Queen is basically a super revenant, vastly more powerful than a standard revenant, and with the OP ability to be able to regenerate even if her heart is destroyed. As the cutscene plays out, the Queen summons some thorns of justice and fires them towards us and Jack. We dodge the first few before a shield suddenly appears around us all. Gregorio Silva, who you may remember is the leader of the provisional government in the present day, is the one casting it, giving us enough time to approach the Queen safely to attack. 
A small battle ensues, during which our breathing apparatus is knocked off by the Queen. Just as it looks like it's curtains for us, Jack manages to distract the Queen, causing her to turn her back on us. And with our last burst of energy, we use our blood veil claw attack to stab the Queen in the heart from behind, causing her to turn to ash. Cue victory celebrations, right? Nope. As it turns out, the act of killing the queen caused us to ingest some of her blood, which history tells us will cause us to frenzy uncontrollably imminently. As a result, Jack, our comrade in arms, shoots us in the chest, causing us to fall into a ravine, ending the memory. Like the bastard he is. Absolutely, yeah, he just walks off with silver, I guess. We were nothing to him all along. Now, to be fair, he is quite sort of sorry about it. <laughs> He's like, I don't really. He's like, I don't really want to do this, but it's the right thing to do. Well, yeah, he's he's essentially at that stage putting you out of your misery before you turn into a f***ing monster. Yeah, or so he thinks, at least anyway, because obviously we're still here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so having seen the memory of our past, we are transported back to where we picked up our vestige, allowing us to proceed onwards towards the Cathedral of Sacred Blood itself, through more of this lovely level, Will. I bet you were super excited for this. No, 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 no! I was gutted to be coming back here, <laughs> I have to say. Honestly, it's, it's not as bad as the first time around. This is a bit more obvious in terms of where you need to go. As you may have noticed, there's various kind of heavenly-looking doors around the map that you suspiciously can't open on the first trip. Yeah. There was one section in the because you need two keys, right, to unlock both of these doors? Yes. I spent like a good 30 minutes wandering around looking for that f***ing second door. It was a nightmare. And that <laughs> was when I really was really getting pissed off with this zone and and the game in general at that point. Like, I was having a great time up until we got to the cathedral. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. No, and again, first time I played it, I sympathise with you, buddy. I really do. Second time it was that easy then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I will jump ahead and say that the game really did pull it back in the later levels, but this one in particular sucked for me. I really didn't like it. Well, looked amazing, looked beautiful, lovely looking level, designed badly in my opinion. <laughs> like, like labyrinthian. It's it's not it's not bad design. It's just I don't appreciate labyrinths and mazes that sort of thing. It's I think maze and labyrinth is very apt because everything does look the same. It's very hard to tell where you are. The map doesn't make it particularly easy to navigate. Uh, so yeah, it's just a mishmash of uh, difficult to navigate environments. Okay, Will does not approve. In case you didn't get that. No, God, please no. <laughs> and I understand why. I really do. But after navigating the maze further, we do finally end up in front of the gates of the cathedral, which of course are sealed, because of course they are. However, we're greeted by a lady who looks an awful lot like Eo, and she approaches us directly, the player character, and asks us to restore a vestige she is looking after, seemingly knowing who we are and the power that we have. Yeah, so I think this character's called Leda or Leda. I assume it's Leda. Yeah, could be, mate. I'm not I'm not going to bother remembering all the names of all the attendants we meet. Could be, mate. I, I They're not EO to me. Fine. <laughs> they're all EO. No, no, they're all not EO. I mean, they all work because they all wear the same gas mask, so you can't see their face. Yes, that's So is all true. you see is white hair and the same clothes. So, yeah, not EO. We restore the vestige, and in the subsequent memory, we learn that after the queen was defeated by our own hand, her body was split up into five pieces and spread throughout the realm, being contained in relics and put inside people who have the innate capability to resist the corruption of the relics. Yeah, because that's nice and easy to understand, isn't it? Yeah, it's, this is kind of sounds like the worst contingency plan to uh, get to the bottom of this. Couldn't they have just, like, dropped her in the Mariana Trench or, like, fired her into the sun or something? No, she'd have 
reformed, man. She's OP. <laughs> the only way to do it was to put her inside other people and split the body parts. Okay, okay. The Did they need way. to put it in the butthole? Was that no, no, necessary? No, that was just that was a choice of this success. Okay, so that's they just fucking Mido's kinks. However, those that were implanted with the relics, despite being able to resist them to some degree, they are all still at risk of a frenzy. Once the memory sequence is finished, we are told by Not Eo that we are able to break the seals and open the doors leading to the successors due to us ingesting some of the queen's blood. This is also likely the reason why we were able to reactivate blood springs and clear the miasma. So we now know the reason for our special protagonist powers as well. Hey, oh, that voice type is there. coming real. At this point, with the cathedral doors now unsealed, we enter to face off against our first successor, the successor of the ribcage. Big old wolfy girl. Yeah, lots of, with arms. Lots of legs. A lot of legs and arms and yeah. things going on there. Yeah, I don't know what fetish this one's appealing to, but I'm sure it's tickling someone's fancy. Oh, furries, obviously. Yeah, furries, but like... You should like... know. You should know, Mr. Furry. <laughs> No, let's put that dark, dark chapter behind us. <laughs> no, I was more thinking about uh, the fact that there's several limbs as well. Oh yeah, who knows? There's too many limbs. Yeah, there are a lot of limbs, I'll give you that. But otherwise, quite a blobby sort of boss, really. Yeah, so. very large, and the first stage being particularly easy to do, not particularly manoeuvrable, and you are able to just sort of get behind it and just keep on pounding those butt cheeks. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, do that. I mean, stabbing it in the back. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't do the whole teleporting explosion thing it does in phase two, which we'll get on to shortly. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, the first phase, as Will said, they're incredibly easy. Um, all of its attacks are frontal, basically. It does do a move where it sort of raises up incredibly slowly and then slams into the ground, but because it raises up incredibly slowly, you can just you know, run away. You just run away, yeah. Yeah, and to be honest, you can just wail. It doesn't do that much damage either, to be perfectly honest with you. Nothing really to report here. You see a few magic spells and stuff, but none of them are too like drastic even. There's little amygdala style beam but it's quite easy to avoid yeah you can dodge right through everything using the iframes yeah. pretty much there's some strategically placed pillars around the arena as well which help you can block off some of the attacks from that definitely i was finding yeah. that very useful yeah so it sounds like we both kicked our ass in phase one and what happens then is sort of helps explain a lot of what jack has been doing this whole game because on defeating the successor of the ribcage one of these big old blue pineapple thingies appears which we now know of course with the law that we've been given is actually one of these queen relics a super super special vestige yeah, very big very blue very spiky would hurt a lot if you sat on it so at this stage our team doesn't know this we just see it we see it flashing a bit and then the successor of the ribcage comes back to life right yes that's right but wait there's more and thus phase two begins. It's very similar to phase one, however, much beefier, much more moves, much more devastating moves, and she can pile them on top of one another. That's right imbued with holy light of all sorts of magnitudes exactly and not only that she can now put up a big red shield which you can only drain well i say you can only drain you most efficiently drain by using your charge attack but you can just batter with your sword or whatever but if you stay close to her for too long like you would have done in phase one she literally with an explosion that does quite a lot of damage to you teleports to the other side of the boss arena which is quite a distance when she's firing loads of magic at you as well so how did you find phase two so i did not realize that this was one that required you to use your 
your drain ability. I mostly just kind of dealt with the fact that she was occasionally zipping around the arena like that and still didn't have too much trouble with this one. It was mostly for me because I'm dealing less damage than Yakimo is obviously with his giant sword. It was more about keeping her aimed on me and making her do as many spells on me as possible whilst I let Giacomo do the uh, majority of the damage and kind of buffing him as much as possible. At this point I was really into the flow of the game so I have an ability that allows me to kind of imbue my weapon and Yakimo's weapon with flames. I was also uh, adding kind of like a, I think it's called nullify effects on the enemies. You can kind of attach to your own sword which then just makes them obviously weaker to Yakimo's attacks. So yeah, at this time I'm, I'm kind of playing quite a bit of a support character which is actually quite a nice way to play. I'm enjoying it and uh, still getting quite a bit of satisfaction despite the fact that I'm playing with an AI. Nice. Yeah, I'm the exact opposite. I still work with Yakimo but we just got two big old weapons. <laughs> you just double down, yeah. Basically, and uh, it works incredibly well. Very efficient and uh, I, I knew what was coming which always helps but I didn't struggle with this at all either. So I wasn't actually expecting this boss fight or at least it felt very easy the uh, the first stage so I guess that kind of was a bit of a clue there but obviously most of the bosses function in the game they don't actually have two health bars they just have a no. certain part of their health bar that then triggers them into stage two yeah. Whereas this one is you fully clear a health bar and then as James mentioned earlier, the relic there kind of regenerates the boss again. And I think this was done and probably the reason why phase one is so easy because I mean it really is. I think it's more of a story point. It's to show you what the relics do. So upon defeating phase two, we use our special protagonist powers to quell the power of the queen relic and are taken on another memory sequence. This time it is in the memory of the success of the ribcage herself. None other than Aurora who we met in our own memory previously. Karen's bestie if you remember. Her memories show how she volunteered to be the successor, and at the end of her memory sequence we come face to face with Aurora herself. She gives us a little more context on her decision to become a successor, basically that she wants to look after Karen, because they're besties, and after she's explained this to us, she turns to stone as a result of us neutralising the relic. At this point, we have a choice. Depending on how many of the relevant vestiges have been collected and restored throughout the level, we have the choice of either leaving Aurora in this state, or restoring her memories. Leaving her will cause her to turn to ash in the real world, whereas restoring her memories will allow her to recover from her frenzy and remain alive as the successor of the ribcage. So, Will, how did you go about this? So, in this portion of the game, I actually had managed to rescue enough of the vestiges, so I went on to save our successor. Very nice, too. I did the same thing. You did? Okay, I nice, did. nice. Because at this point, the background story where she's getting corrupted, my character, she's still good at this point. Fine, okay, First okay. First successor, yeah. yeah, no problem, save her. I forgot but about of course, this. Yeah. Slow but, corruption that's going on. But of course, in doing so, we actually, obviously, we neutralize the vestige and it spikes us in that, but it's a big queen vestige, so it does even worse. So the corruption is now beginning to take full flow. So who knows what will happen going forward. Having dealt with the successor of the ribcage, we continue onwards to the lower chambers of the cathedral where we find the source of the blood springs. Shockingly, it's our second successor, although we do not need to fight this one. It's none other than Karen, Louis' sister, who is the successor of the heart. This is a big shock to everyone, and after giving Louis a moment to collect himself and have a moment alone with Karen, we continue our journey to cure kill the remaining successors. And, and I did find this a shock the first time I played it. I wasn't expecting the source to be a human. However, before we leave the cathedral, we are greeted by our mysterious hunter friend, who we now know as Jack. At this point, he recognises us, suggests that our powers would make us a valuable ally, and that we should consider joining him in his cause. Why would you join the guy that shot you in the chest and left you for dead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of a bit of a suspicious bargain to take yeah. at this point as a result a brief fight ensues <laughs> which is ended by the singing woman from last week coming in and convincing jack to leave with her 
So this is kind of an interesting discussion that they have during this fight as well. During the point where sort of Jack is sizing up and realising who our character is from all those years ago that he, as he puts in his own words, I think, killed with his own hands. It's kind of interesting because he's sort of looking at your power and he understands that you're powerful and he actually says that you're even more powerful than the singing lady that uh, appears and whisks them both away. So clearly there's some recognition there. That there is some sort of shared power between yourself and the uh, large-chested singing lady. Your boobs are huge. Similarities for sure. I don't know about shared power, but as we'll get into when we meet her in a bit more detail, yes, we both have the ability to quell relics. Let's just say that. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think of this level, man? This is obviously the snowy level that you may remember Mia had a dream about and where she saw Jack walking Nicola. That's right, yeah. Which, uh, you know. So I actually, I really enjoyed this level. I don't know if it was just coming off the back of that godforsaken cathedral, <laughs> uh, but this level was much more appealing to my eyes it also seemed to make much more sense the layout i think that this game does natural environments a little bit better than it does urban environments just purely in the sense of how they seem to be designed these natural environments just appear to be a bit more open a bit more easy to navigate and less maze-like so yeah no i i really enjoyed this part of the game had a great time running through here and i also enjoyed the kind of themed enemies as well there's kind of like uh i guess like lost Himalayan Yeti type looking things yeah. here. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. I liked it. I disagree with you on that urban spaces point, but in terms of the cathedral, yes, absolutely. Did you do you quite like some of the urban settings? I just find there's lots of tunnels and things that feel less, I don't know, less preferable to me than the the nature of snow forest kind of thing. Yeah, but I think there's if you look at it, like the open areas in the urbans are just as big as the open areas in the outside, and the tunnely bits in the urbans are exactly the same as like the ice caverns you've got going underneath the open bits in the snow level. Yeah. I think it's all quite similar really no i like this level too i think it's really cool i particularly enjoy that it has collapsible floors that can kill you if you're not careful yeah i fell victim to one of those yeah we all do we all do we all done it gotta skirt the sides exactly when just yeah some routes you just can't go but yeah you find out there is that. but no so we navigate through this lovely snowy area as will says fighting off hordes of themed enemies and we eventually make our way to a very familiar looking orange shield by this point it's the same one that was covering the cathedral and we see the silhouette of another attendant another non-eo standing outside that's right which signals that we're at our next successor the successor of the breath and who's this it's none other than nicola mia's little brother who you may remember had been killed by jack basically nicola was casting a double of himself from inside this where he is now and a double of him was walking around with Mia this whole time that's exactly right so he didn't want to leave Mia alone so before he kind of agreed to become a successor although he was advised not to because it would require a lot of his power to sustain and he promised not to as well yeah he did promise not to he (laughs) eventually ultimately decided to disobey those orders and did create a clone of himself yes and that is why when we fed him the blood bead in last week's episode nothing happened and his frenzy was still continuing it's because it wasn't really him that's right and also we should probably mention that Mia was completely unaware of this yes. the whole time yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah Mia was none the wiser and obviously Bandai Namco haven't just given us a boss fight against a child much the same as Aurora um, he has a sort of successor form if you like and it's uh, another sort of big armoured dude with a big old shield um, who has sort of moose antlers keeping in line with the sort of snowy theme yeah that's right this was another cool boss I, I do like the the initial part of that cutscene though where because Nicola obviously tries to fight it himself at one point trying to fight himself from friends and he kind of divides off into like an army of little kids that all start attacking the creature. Obviously, yeah. pretty ineffective, yeah. but 
fun to see. <laughs> yeah, good old spirit Nicola trying to do the the right thing. But yeah, this fight's really. I thought this fight's really cool as well. Despite being quite a big lumbering enemy, his moves, or not all of his moves at least, are that well telegraphed. Some of them can be quite sudden, and he's yep. surprisingly quick and slight on his feet. And in phase two, he gets some really quite powerful AOE attacks that, if you're not careful, you can really f you over because it's all ice, so it can slow you down. Again, this um, I, I found this boss fight. Uh, I think this was another first try attempt for me, so I'm not sure whether oh, yeah. I ever got affected by the slow. Actually, if you if you sort of get around it, it's not too bad at all. As I say, yeah, I, I too first time I first timed all of the bosses in this run, um, but I have the advantage of having played it before. Though, yeah, I'm finding that kind of as I get more and more into the game, starting to understand the dodge windows and things like that a bit better. I was kind of well into it at this point, yeah, so exactly. I, I think probably the remainder of the bosses on this uh, session I managed to first try. So yeah, sounds like we both beat this guy pretty convincingly. Um, again, at the end, we ingest the vestige. And we have another choice to make, Will. We, we go through Nicola's memories. It's sort of saying what we've already discussed really shows how he makes the decision to stay with Mia and cause a double of himself and all that. How did you go about this one, Will? Had you collected all the vestiges again? So at this stage, no, I hadn't collected all of the vestiges. I kind of found myself, I kind of must have just picked the right route through the snowy area. So at that point, I think I'd kind of, I'd missed out and I hadn't realised that that was a necessary thing to do before you do the successor. So I just kind of ploughed on with this one and went straight in for the boss fight, which I think has uh, somewhat affected the ending that I'll be receiving now. Well, um, I, basically, am I hearing that you killed Nicola? Is this, that's, this I did. Indeed, yeah. Nicola turned into ash, an ashy pile of child. Wow, you killed the child. I bet Mia was devastated. Honestly, she forgives pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, fair. she wasn't too bad. She just gave him a quick hug, turned into ash, and she was like, all right, I'll stick with you guys. Oh, fair. No one seems to really hold it against you or treat it like it was a viable option that you could have saved these people. They're all pretty cool with it, honestly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. I think is uh, they probably don't understand exactly what you can do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't know it's possible because I haven't tried. No, exactly. I haven't even tried to save yeah. these ones. Uh, well, funnily enough, this one in my law, I did save Nicola, but this one was like she had to fight through with like all of her willpower to save this one. Right. Like, it was her friendship with Mia that sort of really pulled it through. And was like, oh, no, I've, I will save Nicola. Fine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But the yeah. corruption has really started to take hold now. This is oh, fun man. having a little sub story in the background. <laughs> it's quite cool no my solid snake was just ruthlessly efficient the whole yeah. way through it seems yeah. saved aurora but then was like oh fuck it kill the kid well i mean at this point i'm kind of like do i just go whole hog and just not bother with the rest and get the bad endings or do i actually you can't get the that? bad ending you're locked into the neutral ending because you saved one. Oh, i see okay okay so, fine, you, so fine. You, whatever you do now you're getting the neutral ending there's nothing you can do okay okay that's fine which is you know it means you don't have to worry about anything, I suppose. Now that I know that you need to do 100%, it seems like neutral ending is the most likely ending for you to get on a first playthrough because you need to do all of it. Well, yeah, it's not hard, though. But I I mean, like I said, it's it's it, it was easy enough to do as a mistake for me. They don't, like, explicitly tell you. They didn't make it sound... The prospect of not doing it wasn't bad enough that the, the, that conveyed it to me that I really should be doing that. Yeah. I thought I was kind of saving them either way by releasing them from their life. I thought I was liberating them from <laughs> life. So, I, you know, that's how yeah. I choose to see it. Yeah. Whatever helps you sleep at night, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we head back to home base to collect our thoughts and discuss our next moves when, seemingly out of nowhere, the door to home base bursts open and the singing lady enters, looking like she's about to frenzy. We treat her, and once she has regained enough strength, she tells her that her name is Eva and asks us to help Jack, who had been attacked in the depths beneath the Cathedral of Sacred Blood. Oh god, not back there again. Oh, 
It's not it's not as bad as you think though. Will, yeah, you know? I know. Honestly, <laughs> honestly my blood was about to boil when she said that though. I got to say I was like, "No, please tell me this isn't kind of like the spur for the rest of the game." God damn it, no. No, to be honest, man, the, the thing that made it nice for me with the first time I played it was the fact that when you go see Karen, the door you unlock for it is one of the doors that you see throughout um, yes. this cathedral. So I sort of clocked that and was like, okay, they're not making me do another level there. It's just, I'm going to go through those doors. <laughs> yeah, and actually, if you notice on the teleport screen, the, the clip is, is a photo of the door. So you know exactly, exactly where they are, which yeah. is great. So it turns out that Jack's ultimate role was actually to keep an eye on all these naughty successors and ensure that they do not frenzy. So we head to our next successor to assist Jack and hopefully find out more about what the hell is going on. Yes, and that leads us to a lovely place called the Ashen Cavern, which is basically just a sort of underground, almost geological, crystally type area, but mixed in with a little bit of swamp, dank, cavey type aesthetic. It's kind of like greys, greens, bit of yellow, you know? Yeah, from the uh, the thorns, I guess. Yeah. The spiky thorns. Thorns of judgment! So I think that this, it was another really strong area in the game. Uh, right off the back of the Ridge of Frozen Souls, this is another kind of natural-based environment that I found really fun to explore. Very nice looking. And again, they've kind of dropped the complete labyrinth-style mazes that was featuring in Cathedral. So the game had really kind of picked up at this point and it regained a lot of hope for me in terms of how much I was going to enjoy it. At this stage, I was having an absolute blast exploring these two last areas. Yeah, it, they seem a lot smaller after the Cathedral of the Sacred um, Blood as well because you're just wandering around aimlessly in that level for so much. Or seemingly, if you don't know your way around and things. Yeah. I, I genuinely the fact that there's just more variation it's so much easier to navigate when it's not just identical walkways for the most part no nope, i agree entirely I, I really like this area too and actually upon not quite upon entering this area but after we've walked around a little bit we head into sort of a clearing if you like and this is where we actually find jack and he lets us know that him and eva were heading towards the the next successor to check on them and make sure that everything's okay and they're not frenzying when they were attacked by a chap called juzo mido who we'll get into a little bit more in a bit. He's basically a sort of ex-government guy who has sort of gone off for himself and performs experiments on people. and Regarded as like a scientific genius of his time. But he's all around a bit of a bad egg. He's certainly waiting for his day like Thanos. Exactly, exactly. Um, and it's at this point we actually learn, uh, as Will mentioned earlier, Jack referenced that we have very similar powers to Eva. And this is where we actually find out what Eva's ability is. And actually what we saw in the cutscene where we first encountered Jack and Eva. Surprise, it's not related to her massive rack. Big jugs. Well, it kind of is. Well, because it kind of is. It, yeah, no, well, not well sort of. You're not wrong those pipes <laughs> but basically if a successor frenzies and ends up dying the relic of the queen can be taken out of the successor and temporarily stored in eva because she's strong enough to withstand the relics for quite some time so she acts as a sort of go-between vessel if ever they need to find a new successor and she had some successory parts in her and uh mido wanted them for himself um so that is basically the reason why jack and eva were attacked obviously it's not explicitly stated that jack and eva are 
together. But that's the kind of the impression I got. And he basically will do anything to protect her. So it might be a sort of EO and us relationship. But I, I always thought they were together. Yeah, I read it as brother and sister, but like not that they ever explicitly oh, mentioned anything like that. It could yeah. be that too. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, the moral of the story was carry on looking for the successes. Watch out for this Mido guy. A bit of a prick. Um, Jack at this point explains that he's going off to try and find Mido to take back what is rightfully, well not rightfully his, but he wants to keep the successes sort of locked away. He doesn't want anyone messing with their powers. Yeah, exactly. So he's looking for Mido to get his relics back. At this point, we continue on through the level, eventually getting to a door that we can't open. And the game prompts us and tells us that we need some dog tags. So where are we going to find these dog tags? Well, cue the next boss, baby. The Gilded Knight. A knight wearing golden armor, who I believe has a halberd. It's a big old swishy stick. It's yeah. got a hell of a lot of range on it. So uh, yeah, lots of it dodging has. involved here. This guy doesn't have a phase one and phase two, like a lot of the other bosses in the game has. But what he does have is a supercharged big ass boy mode, where he basically becomes really vulnerable for like five seconds while he charges up a sort of red mist around him but then when he's buffed takes significantly less damage hits incredibly hard and seemingly has infinite stamina for about two minutes and i was gonna say does he not have a phase two because it, it just felt like he just started spamming stuff yeah. a lot more he kind of got way more aggressive yeah it's not a phase two it's just that when he does his he charges up and it goes into that badass mode and then eventually he'll power down and then you have like another window to yeah, hit him, and then he's window, back to phase yeah. one yeah but then he does that again oh, so it's not okay, quite phase one and two it's that he sort of does it over and over again he has this super mode fine yeah. yeah. And again, as I've mentioned before, I did first time it this time, but when I first played this, this boss kicked my ass so many times. Now, admittedly, I was playing underleveled because I was trying to get all the gifts unlocked and I was worried about hitting the level cap for the area, which Fine, yeah. I now know in this run, having not worried about leveling at all, is so high I didn't need to worry about it. It really, <laughs> it was such a waste of time in my first playthrough, but hey, you live and learn. But how did you find this boss, man? So this was a challenging fight. This was one of the best fights in the game so far. This felt like a true Dark Souls boss fight, I gotta say. This was the one that really stood up there as a great challenge. But I'm very pleased to say that I actually did this one on my first try. It was, uh, it was a challenge, for sure. And I definitely had to be patient with it and not get too greedy. But uh, yeah, no, me and Giacomo, we wreck this boy but like i say it was a very good fight i definitely could feel the adrenaline going on that one Man, I'm glad to hear that you had such a good time with it. I mean, I agree. It's a very good boss. Very challenging. I'm not surprised to hear that it did knock you back, especially if you were underleveled as well. But no, so upon defeating the Gilded Knight, we take the dog tags, which are conveniently on his corpse, which allows us to open the doorway to our next area, the City of the Fallen Flame. Now, Will, if you don't like labyrinths, this area is kind of labyrinthy. It's not nowhere near as bad as the Cathedral of Sacred Blood, but this area is kind of labyrinthy with the added yeah. with the added sort of danger of having little lava spouts that can come up. And also, this one is pretty much all of the walls around the arena are also flame lit as well, yeah. which is very good for punishing you for panic dodging and doing yep. things like that. And if you have a, a very wide dodge ability, you're going to be bouncing off those flame walls quite a bit. And they do damage you significantly too. They do, exactly. Yeah, along with the uh, the flaming balls that you have to dodge coming out from the ground and ceiling as well. So it's really is a fiery nightmare, this level. But again, I was kind of seeing it in a light of this is a good challenge. This is a very good way. It's kind of like it reminds me of spiky ceiling levels and old school video games. It's like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to be able to jump in this section. Yeah. Kind of like that is, okay, don't panic dodge. Don't like try and create so much space that you back yourself into a corner and then sandwich yourself between a fiery wall and an angry enemy. Yeah, and don't take 
take on more than two at once if you can at all avoid it absolutely yeah and also enemies seem to not care about the fire so much it being a fire themed level with fire themed enemies yeah so a lot of the time they are just kind of following you through regardless and you are the one getting pinned and not being able to uh find good space to fight but you did say that uh this one was a bit labyrinthy it, it definitely was i suppose obviously not helped by the fact that it's a little bit more samey looking than for instance the uh you know the snowy level uh or the ashen cavern however again still not anywhere near on the levels of the cathedral mostly no, it's not because... as big that's basically what it is it's not as big is, is that it honestly it... nowhere near as big yeah there's just more memorable features in those yeah. levels what it really comes down to and I've, i know i've probably said this twice already now on the pod but what it really comes down to is just one is identical walkways one is like ramps and structures and stone and i'm praying that there's not another level like the cathedral in this game because that was a low point for this game for me because the rest of it has been really solid actually and I, i've really started enjoying the game more once we got out of that cathedral again but no, so eventually we do get through this flaming level and there's we haven't spoken too much about the enemies in this episode, but what I will say is there's one really cool enemy in this section. I think there's like two of them and it's kind of like a big demon type thing with like blue flames that it sort of spouts about and it and it's That's make, cool. They are tough. turns one of them into a sword and, and it can like rush at you. It can it's got some really cool attacks and as you say, very tough, very satisfying to beat. So, yeah, they kind of feel like mini bosses without the uh, mini boss health bar. A little bit, yeah. They're very difficult, but as I say, there are only two of them in the level, so it, it sort of compensates it with that. Yeah, yeah. Shout outs to that enemy. It was, it was, and they were both put in very strategically placed spots that made it sort of tough to fight because you were in like a as big enough arena that you could get around, but a small enough arena that you couldn't do it freely. It was, it was good fun. Another cool enemy in this area that I fought were the sort of people that look very much just like regular revenants, except they've got demon horns and things like that, which are again what I suppose are just corrupted, lost revenants. You know, they don't look quite as monstrous as some of the other ones, which obviously means that their fights resemble kind of hunter fights in Bloodborne a bit more, where they're a bit more agile, they do a bit more dodging and things like that. Yeah, they're actually also in the snow area too, but you probably, if, oh, you didn't exp- if you didn't explore it, you wouldn't have found them. Yeah, but no, I agree, and that's kind of what my character's based on. Like if you right, see, if you sense, see like the horns yeah. and stuff, it's the same material as my little wing oh, right, <laughs> material. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same uh, crystally rocky substance. But no, so we navigate through a lot of these cool enemies, and eventually, what do we see? Will we see another one of those orange shieldy domes? Don't we? Another Nottyo standing outside. Do you know this one's name? Ah, uh, this one's Thief. I think this one's yeah. Thebe. And we get to our final successor for this week, the successor of the claw. We've had a sexy butterfly. We've had a pole dancer. Wouldn't be complete if we didn't complete the set with the leather-bound cat dominatrix, would it? Anthropomorphic cat lady. Yeah, with a flaming sword. But this is a cool boss fight too. She's very agile, jumps around a lot, can string a lot of combos together. Obviously, she has her claws, she has a fiery sword, does some shit with her tail. She has some long-ass combos as well. Not like, you know, quite millennia-long combos, but the longest that I've seen so far in this game. Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. Apart from maybe uh, Gilded Hunter. How did you find this fight, Will? Another one on the first time list? Uh, so this wasn't first time, this was second try. I think I got caught out by her extra spicy phase two, where she just kind of like goes ape shit. Just loops uh, around a hell of a lot, yeah. Yeah, exactly Can be that. brutal. 
and I think that that was it was it was more that actually I had plenty of health left to uh, top myself up. It was more that I think Yakimo died, and then whilst I was trying to heal him, she then turned around on me. She's very good at jumping from one person to another, and she's yeah. very good at the moment that her aggro is on your body. The moment you heal, she will turn around and immediately pounce at you. So yeah, she is very good at constantly applying pressure, and uh, those windows for healing get pretty tough. Although she does have a couple moves that after a while I started to predict, and there is a pretty big window after them. So you can often use that to heal. Yeah, I agree that she's very good at pouncing on you as soon as you heal. Staying behind her is pretty important as well. Using, you know, just staying behind her back legs and... Uh... Oh, fair. You see, I actually found it much more successful to be in front of her. Front, fr Go front and then dodge around to the side. And when she's clawing, she gets locked into an animation of clawing in front of her. So you can wail on her on the side. But again, this uh, neither of my runs, I actually found... I didn't find this boss fight that difficult at all. I don't think I first timed it in my first run. I, I first timed it this time. I found... She, if she gets you in a combo, like you can be dead, like straight away. Yeah, you, you can't yeah. get out of it. But if you get her timing down and just know when that when she's going to land her jump attack, you can actually dodge around quite easily. And as I say, she locks into an animation slightly, gives you a nice window. Which with a big chunky weapon, she melts her health bar. By this point, I'd also unlocked an ability which actually increases my evade window and my dodge. So I was doing much better dodges, being able to hop around the place, and I found that very useful here as well because it stops you from getting caught in those combos so we beat her dead well beat her dead i say we beat her we go we ingest the vestige once more we're in the memory sequence we actually find out that this successor is a young lady called emily who is one of yakimo's friends from back in the day and they were they were orphans together i believe yeah that's exactly right orphans that were uh abducted or, or kind of taken taken by in by juzo mido ah what a saint exactly rescuer of the children yes and uh, emily is you sort of see her story she's sort of quite brave throughout willing to sacrifice for her friends which is becoming a sort of theme of this game really yeah yeah yeah. willing to sacrifice for your friends um and she actually volunteers to become a successor to try and defend yakimo that's basically the sort of underlying theme of this mm. and you do eventually meet her as you have done with all the other successors and you kind of leave the conversation to her and yakimo and you get quite a nice touching moment seems like she's got massive feelings for him and he doesn't realize because he's a bit of a clown um, yeah so will i have to ask you once again how'd you collect she's dead. All the best she's dead oh, i wow. killed her not even she gonna let me ask Ash. the question you just, no. you just killed her killed her dead no yeah absolutely yeah as i say at this point we really didn't uh we, we i didn't know what i was doing so i was just progressing with the game and i didn't realize so. yeah. <laughs> yes this isn't the good ending for sure well on this occasion, Will, you're not on your own because by this point, the corruption has fully taken hold of my character and she no longer cares. I had all the vestiges. I restored them all. I just f***ed her off. I was like, I'm not still restoring your memory. I'm leaving. Oh, thank God. Okay. Just well, walked around the walked around. I was like, nah, see you later. And I felt bad because Yakimo's my boy. Love Yakimo. He was my partner in run one. He's my partner through this run. But yeah, he, he like you say, he, he sort of... He's not that bothered. He didn't care that much. He was just like, yeah, I'm in your pocket now. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, that's pretty much his words, right? No, that's exactly his words, yeah. And yeah. Basically, like, yeah, I now have a reason to fight. I want to kill Mido. He did this to my friend. He did this! Yeah. <laughs> this is like, yeah, nothing to do with me, mate. It's Mido. F*** Mido. Yeah, <laughs> exactly that. Upon defeating the successor of the Claw, a heavily armoured man surrounded by bodyguards appears out of thin air to address us. It turns out this is none other than Juzo Mido himself. That bastard. Utter bellend. The sight of Mido causes Yakimo to instantly try and attack him, 
understandable given all the experiments committed by Mido and Yakumo's friends. However, his bodyguards block any attempt to attack Mido. Bodyguards meaning a couple more of those knight type dudes. Yeah, basically sort of very similar looking guys to the Queen's Knight that we fought earlier. And we kind of find out that he was using the orphans as test subjects to make these guys, right? Pretty much. He was using um, relics and sort of not like quite full pieces of the Queen, but like sort of samples, and drabs. if you like, dribs and drabs to... Uh, Create super soldiers. That was what he was trying to do. At this point, Jack tries to ambush Mido, but once again, his bodyguards block the attack, seemingly with superhuman reactions. So at this point, Mido reveals that he has taken the relics that were being temporarily held within Eva for himself, presumably for further experiments or to create a being harnessing the Queen's powers. Having explained this, he and his bodyguards then disappear as quickly as they had arrived leaving the whole team fuming and disheartened. We return to home base to lick our wounds, only to discover that Eva has disappeared. Where could she have gone? How will we stop Mido? All this and more next week when we bring this story to its conclusion. Oh, tantalising. We'll get there. tantalising indeed. Very good game, James. I've been enjoying myself with this one so far. I've got to say, let's hope it remains as strong for the third part. I think that you won't be disappointed. And with that, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for staying with us, listeners. We really appreciate you making it this far. And if you've enjoyed what you've listened to, you can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. And you can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under Twitch twitch.tv forward slash hoodafunk and you can find me on twitter at mr bames and i'm also on twitch under twitch.tv forward slash mr bames underscore tpm will pleasure as always my friend good to see you buddy glad to be here for another episode thank you very much listeners thanks again yes and until next week goodbye goodbye people